0: Good morning, good to see you. I feel like it's been forever since I've seen you, so uh, it's so good to be here. We have, uh, we're on, what, day eight of our prayer initiative, right? 117 days, if you're new, if, you, if you're new to the church or uh, was not here uh, last week, we uh, in, in embarking on 117 days. I would, uh, if, you're, if you're new to this initiative, new to Psalm 117, I really uh, just encourage you to listen to Chris's message last, from last week. It's on the, it's on the website, and uh, it's on the app, and so if you don't have our FCC ABQ app, get it, and re- rewind, and just listen to it again. Great exposition of, of Psalm 117, and so I thought we might do it together this morning. Use each line as our cadence, okay? Okay. Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. All the nations, all the nations you get to hear the message of that great song. Uh, Hindsight—that's a—that's. I, I hope that's a part of the rotation because that's a, that's a that's a good one. Um, we have been uh, we began a, a series in Matthew. And as, a, as cryptic as it may seem, uh, coming out of out of Christmas, uh, embarking on uh, uh, looking at the Gospel of Matthew, and I would hope that you would begin absorbing it, uh, even just adding a chapter to your, what you already do as far as your private devotion time. But we're going to be looking at uh, what it means to to live the kingdom life. What did Christ mean by the kingdom life? What was it that that when it says that the kingdom of God is, is here, the kingdom of God is near, what does it mean for us um, to, to live as kingdom people? What does it mean to Christ? What does it mean uh, to us? And what does he want to continue to do through us? And again, that, that, that song uh, was, was perfect uh, segue for, for this message. Uh, you know, when we're praying for for. For the church, praying for our reach, praying for our city. Um, God loves cities. Oh, now He loves small towns. But what you and what we find in our text today is that Jesus chose to go to the city. The city has a tendency to be the hub, right? We realize in this small town of Albuquerque, uh, you know, the biggest small town I've ever, ever been a part of. Even though we're a city, it's, the state has a tendency to come towards Albuquerque. And that's what we see in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, how the cities became the, the, the epicenter and the beginnings of ministry. Because through that, the roads, the commerce, the economy, everything came through cities. But also, also Christ knew, and we see it throughout the Gospels, that darkness prevails in city. Have you ever seen the darkness of Albuquerque? Have you ever felt it? Have you ever been a victim of it? Of course you have. You see, Jesus knows exactly where to go, and he knows exactly where to plant churches. And so I hope you've been praying for the church. You know, prayer is one of those things, right? We Tim... Tim began speaking of righteousness, and, and of course, Chris comes with the message of prayer. These are all, these are all familiar, almost comfortable knowings of what's going to happen in, in, in the pulpits of churches. It's the reminder of, of the disciplines, the reminder of setting aside time, the reminder of connecting with God first, and yet it never ends to know that prayer can be too comfortable. I've been praying for our church, as I always have and always will. Um, I've been praying for the transition, that, that God already knows the, the man and the family to come, that we are continuing to, to take our, our ministry efforts and keep reaching out to the city. I pray for many of you by name that, 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 that you are just just get the kingdom call in your life, and we'll talk more about that next week. But, as, as you begin to say, what is it that God is really calling me to do? It's a no-brainer that life is ministry and our family is ministry and so forth, but there is something about what God is doing in us and through us that can be pretty amazing to know what it is that he wants me to do in this season. I hope that you're praying for yourself. God, I don't know exactly what it is. And I know I've prayed this before, but maybe I come to you, God, with a renewed heart to say, where is it that you want me to be? What is it that you want me to do? I'm going to suggest to us that everything we do will be counted as ministry at the end of our days. But there are specific things that, that he only has to do. That's not mystical, it's truth. Because only you and I can influence the way That we influence. You and I can only shed light in the way that God has uniquely desired for us to do. I can't do what God has uniquely called you to do. You can't do what God has uniquely called me to do. And some of us will sit and we'll get comfortable, and it's not complacency. This is not a spanking for us, it's more to say, God really desires for the kingdom life to be lived through us. And once he's living through us, there is a freedom, there is a knowing like we've never understood before. Some of us walk around with generalities. And deep within side of our, our own hearts, the little, little dark crevices, right, that, that we kind of hold to ourselves, and it's only us and God. God desires to shed light in those and say, this is what I've created you for. I want you to be a risk taker. I want you to to try something new. I want you to risk being a failure at something that you can never be a failure at, and that is doing my ministry. You see, God desires for us to not just know that it's the kingdom life, not just go through the Gospels and read it and and go, okay, yeah, that's what we're... He desires for us on a one-to-one level to experience ministry transition experience ministry in what only we can do. And so my prayer has been for you and each of us that that we find that unique peace. Jesus, the unique of unique, right? We see that Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel is written with an agenda. And it's okay. I remember my first year of Bible college, I was like, Oh, I don't know if I'm kind of uncomfortable with Matthew and Luke and these guys having their agenda. How does that make it anointed? How does that make it sure that it's God's word? And, and then you learn and you absorb and you see that Matthew had a certain audience. Matthew, the book of Hebrews, and the book of James are, have a tendency to be, to be known as books that were speaking to the, a Jewish audience. Oh, now plenty of Gentiles have read it, right? But it's an audience. And so what we see is that Matthew is rich with the context of the Old Testament. When he says something of Jesus, what you see is Matthew bringing in the Old Testament to go, see, this is Christ. See, this is the proof. And we see him do that throughout his gospel. And with that, Tim spoke of the righteousness Chris, speaking of prayer, what the meaning of Psalm 117 was and how it even meant, what it meant even on the night in which he was betrayed. We see this picture that, that Matthew is, is unfolding for us. You actually see from, the, from his birth narrative, from his lineage to the birth narrative, to the, to the escape with his mom and his dad, we see this, this theme of righteousness in Joseph. We see this, righteousness that looks a lot like Joseph's story in the Old Testament. We see lots of variations of of what we see, but what we clearly see is this picture of Moses. And if you begin to read Matthew in light of what you know about the Old Testament and the story of God's people, you see that, that the Jewish folk would have really thought that Moses was it. He was somebody. But now Matthew is saying, Jesus is even better than Moses. And you see these themes. And so we get to chapter 4. Chapter 4, starting at at verse 12, we see that that now Jesus is beginning his ministry. And you often wonder, what did he do for the other 20 plus years? Because he's around 30 years old at this time, as we understand the chronology of Jesus' life. And I think, it's, I think what's awesome about that is that God chooses specific times for the right times, not only just to fulfill prophecy, uh, the prophecy was telling us God's agenda. And that there are certain right times for when things happen. And so the right time for Jesus to be born, for God to become flesh, to veil. Can you imagine veiling deity? Deity. You are the glory. You are the, capital, right? Bold font. The glory. You are the glory of the Father. You are the Son. You are the Word. You're the Logos. And now this is all becoming veiled so that you might become human flesh. That's the peculiar story of Christianity. That's the miraculous that we understand is that the God became man and he was God-man, fully God, fully man. And, and, and he who was beyond somebody, became a nobody, became us. And so we see that Jesus, in chapter 12, verse 12 of chapter 4, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Nephtali. Jesus hears that John, right, the one who baptized Jesus in chapter 3, the one who was like, I'm not touching that, right? (laughs) John's like, no way. I can't even tie his sandals. I mean, what? what, what?" And Jesus said, we do this to fulfill all righteousness. One of the key themes throughout Matthew is you'll see this, this theme of righteousness, Joseph was a righteous man. That wasn't just good man. In the Jewish culture, to be called righteous, too much to, 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 to really talk about this morning, it has deep meaning for Joseph to be considered a righteous man. And then John, when he was confronting the religious leaders, right the ones that had it down, I mean, they were God's people. Everybody looked to them. They were somebodies. And John said, You brood of vipers, said, Why don't you produce the fruit that comes from righteousness? You want to know why John's in prison? Is because he was bringing a truth as the forerunner that says, Listen, this is nothing to be messed with, and you're messing with it. And then we see that now righteousness is being. Uh, prevailed in through the ministry of christ but i love this i love that matthew meddles in the nobody business those that thought they were somebody were now being confronted by the one who was nobody look at the text it says when jesus heard that john had been put in prison he withdrew the galilee some folk think that this was based on fear. This is not, this is not fearing Christ. He had just... Matthew gives it, a, gives it to us in order. He just told Satan where to go. Satan thought he was having a heyday. Hey, this. And he would quote scripture, right? He quotes scripture. He says, listen, if now he defeats him, he withdrew. The transition of ministry in Jerusalem was going to truly happen about two and a half years later when John is beheaded. But John is doing his work, and Christ goes north. One commentator, I loved it. When Jesus went north, everything for him went south, meaning that the, that the kingdom of God was split. And you'll see this in the Old Testament. And if you are in a Bible reading Uh, you know, chapters, so many chapters a day, which I hope you're in that. I hope at the very basic level, I hope that 2019, even if you say, oh yeah, I forgot about that, and you start this evening, get yourself into the Word. Get yourself into reading it and you'll get to Kings and Chronicles, and you're going to get confused. Let me just tell you right now, if you've never read the Scripture before, you're going to get confused in Kings. I'm just saying, let the Holy Spirit work with you. Read it, because what you see is now, this is over here, and this is over here, and which kingdom is it? Which kingdom is it? The northern kingdom, they went way south. A matter of fact, one of the favorite lines you're going to read, because I trust you're going to do it, is that the king did and the people did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. Well, now the southern kingdom, Judah, David's kingdom, Solomon's kingdom, they were in the human frame a little better. But Jesus is now moving towards the northern kingdom, going to Galilee, a city, center of commerce, and we're going to see next week plenty of fishermen around that he could call. And he is now moving in that direction. But I love what Matthew does. Verse 13, he didn't have to say it again, but he says it for us. He says, Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area Zebin and in Nephtali. Show you a little. How long has that been up there? Has it been up there a long time? I could have just referred to it. So thank you. Our tech team is so awesome. So we see he's at Nazareth. He comes from Egypt down here, right? They, they leave. When they find out that uh, Herod's son's in charge and he's a mess, they go to Nazareth. And then we see the arrow to Capernaum in the area of Galilee. Nazareth, significant, even though it was insignificant. Um, I'm a Missouri guy, and let me just explain this. In Missouri, a Hoosier is different than a Hoosier in Indiana. You have any folk from Indiana? Okay. In Indiana, if you're called a Hoosier, it's a proud thing. The university, I mean, a Hoosier, and there's a whole history to it. I won't get into it. All I want to do is give you this meaning. Now, in Missouri, if you're called a Hoosier, that's not a good thing. Anybody from the Midwest didn't know that vernacular, right? You're like, oh, dude. Hoosier would be like white trash, trailer park, you know, that kind of thing. If you live in a trailer park, the preacher is not talking about that, okay? This is a mentality, okay? And it is, it's stereotype, racism, whatever, right? It's, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term. Well, they're Hoosiers because they got like a, you know, it's like Foxworthy's redneck thing, right? You may be a Hoosier if you've got a couch on your porch, that kind of thing. Okay? All right? It's not good. Nazareth was one of those places that if you came from there, you were already stereotyped. I've not lived in this state long enough to even think that I could bring up any insignificant little town where those of you that have been in New Mexico a long time ago, oh, right? You get the picture? What's beautiful about the fulfillment of God's promise is that now, an apparent nobody is coming from a nobody place to begin ministry to everybody. You see, Jesus, born in a little, the town of Bethlehem, and then fled to Egypt, and then end up in Nazareth, and that's where his lineage kind of stayed, and now he is moving on. So, for 20 plus years-ish, he... He was a Nazarene. Uh, scholar uh, Frederick Bruner, you know, there's, there's lots of, you know, was he a Nazarene? Was this a Nazarite vow? Blah, 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 blah. I can't, I've just settled here. You may settle somewhere else, but this is, I, I agree with, with Frederick Bruner. He says, for theological reasons, I'd like to consider the possibility, and it is no more than a possibility, that Matthew... Uh, a person from Nazareth, a Nazarene, was considered a nobody, and that this too is what the prophets often predicted, that Christ would at first be considered and become for us. Nobody. Veils glory, becomes flesh, and is just like us. When God does that, that is kind of awkward. Why wouldn't Jesus just come down to Jerusalem be done with it? Here I am, thank you very much. You you've you, you known about the Shekinah glory, you know about the cloud in the air, you know the pillar, you know all of this. Here I am. God saw fit to do it differently. He said, One likes to think that the Nazarene divinely promised through the prophets was the suffering Messiah, the servant of God, whose roots were transplanted from Bethlehem to Egypt and then from Egypt into the parched ground of Nazareth. He shall be called a Nazarene would certainly, at the very least, mean that he was considered a nobody. You see, a nobody who was obviously somebody came to everybody so that light would shed into darkness. As a matter of fact, verse 14 says, "...to fulfill what was said through the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles." The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. There's an example. Matthew's going to tell us about Jesus, something that the Jew in that context would go, ah, and then he gives the proof of what God had already planned in God's agenda. And so we see that Jesus, who was even, it's even said in scriptures, that you would not have recognized him. Oh, King David was beautiful. He was known for his handsomeness. Jesus was not. Jesus, even the night he was betrayed, it took a kiss by Judas to go up so that he would be recognizable or known. Our Jesus, the nobody, comes with the kingdom of light so that all the nobodies might know him might understand him, might relate to him. He did not come down as a religious figure to say that he had all the answers. He just was the answer. And he came into our world. He came into their world. You see, it says that the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That land of the shadow of death, does anybody know the psalm that that sort of resonates from, right? Psalm 23, a little shepherd boy who would take a rod, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, who would poke the sheep to make sure that they get out of danger or get moving. Oh, we don't like to be called sheep, but nonetheless. Or the staff that would save them from, from turmoil because they had a tendency to go their own way. Now the shepherd those that the one that would bring peace and redemption and rescue the perishing, rescue his people, have, has come. It says, "From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near." You see, as we begin a new year, it's may you may not be wired that way. It's just what life I do. I'm just going to live the life I live and. And I don't really use the first of the year to, to be reflective in that way. Or many of you are just desiring to, to always like to be reminded. We're wired differently. I think what we desire to do in this series is to say that the kingdom life matters. That the kingdom life is something that we must choose. And in choosing the kingdom life, there is going to be light poured into darkness. Many of our testimonies, many of our testimonies is that... that I lived, I chose, I was blinded, I was darkened in my understanding, and Jesus, the light of the world, brought his truth and his rescue and his redemption, and I see things completely different now. And each of us need more and more of that light. Oh, don't you wish 2019 was going to be the year of perfection for us? Okay, maybe I'm the only one. See, Jesus desires to to come to our Galilee, the land of the Gentiles. He desires to come to every crossroad of our life. He desires, which we'll learn next week, to, to, to call us and, and, and perform the miracles that we need, but yet he desires for us to, to live out this kingdom life, which is more a resolve than a decision that's on us. Isn't it amazing that God says, listen, I nudge you so that you might change, but all the change is going to be worked through me. It's kind of a weird, weird understanding to think that he already knows in advance what he wants. I wonder if for just a moment, and you can close your eyes if you want, I, I just want you to think about you for a second. Don't think about your spouse. Don't think about your friends sitting next to you. Just take a quiet moment To think of you. And in that, think of that which you're holding in reserve. Oh, I'll do the big one first. Maybe it's the sin that just hampers you. What is it that still needs the working of God? that we amazingly hold to ourselves and we keep it in little dark pockets in our souls and we just keep it there and we know we got to work on it. We know, we know, we know, we know. But yet, we also know that he knows. Could this be the year and the moment that you see dramatic change in your own spiritual life, in your own spiritual walk, where you allow him to come to the, every crossroad, every intersection of your soul and shed light Maybe it's the opinion of yourself. Maybe it's a thought process. Maybe it's you were raised in a Nazareth type of setting and even though you know you're redeemed, you still still limit God in the widening of your capacity. And maybe he just needs to continue to change your mind about how important you are to the kingdom. I don't know. You see, he brings light into our darkness, and he desires for us to constantly change. And it's a choosing of allowing the kingdom life to penetrate our hearts and our minds, that every thought is held captive to him and and that we do that which he desires for us to do. I'm not talking big, huge life change. I'm not saying go in a massive redirection unless he desires. I'm talking about that which we hold close to ourselves because we think that we need to keep it from him, although he knows it. I trust that that's not for everybody this morning, but I also trust that it's for a lot of nobodies. For the one who allowed himself to become nobody came to everybody so that they could know that the somebody desires to change them. I promise to... uh, to only do it this week, and it 's fitting I, as I looked at it, this is not a forced not a forced situation, but I think this is a uh, ironically or by chance uh place to just share with you thank you for your your love and affection upon the death of my mother um, sudden all that, but let the closing illustration just if you don't mind in me and my bereavement mom never knew her father on her death certificate her father's name was unknown unknown my grandmother who we knew died with. A lot of within the last three years my mother has found out that and because a little sister found her after 30 years that she not only has a sister, but she had two additional brothers. I'm going to tell you that my mother, through most of her life, fought this battle of being a nobody. Now, we knew she wasn't a nobody. She's mama, right? And we used to tease her that she was the queen of the VFW. Veterans of foreign wars, if you don't know, that's a little place. Usually stereotyped, right, as the guys who get there soon in the morning and they drink all day, right, all the stereotypes. But that community was close-knit. This was, last year was her 40th year of, of putting her time and energy into it. We stood for four and a half hours solid as people came. This woman who... Discovered, or thought that she may have been just nobody, or just, you know, had brought light into Christ. She and Dad came to Christ later in life. I had the privilege of 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 baptizing them. That was awkward. I don't know how John felt with Jesus, but I did feel something I think awkwardly similar. At a very time and season that I thought they would divorce themselves even further from God. Now they were they were ritual. They they were nominal they, they, they had the, the, the label but they, they, they didn't know Christ and that's not my judgment it was just truth and they came to Christ in 96 and I saw my mother I saw my mother start to blossom now she had her little quirkinesses like we all did and you know but I saw a change in mom well, most of the people said, "Good person, good person, good person." And well, I guess that's kind of, kind of nice, right? But when you're redeemed, when you've been rescued, your nobody, your nobody position, becomes somebody because now you are a part of the kingdom. About every tenth to fifteenth person come up, there was an odd reflection from them that, that said, you know, your mom when she was serving food, for the bingo. Uh, we'll talk about how she went to church or whatever. I was like, whoa, okay. Now, Connor, in his, uh, his great eulogy, he did a great job. He, he mentioned that, you know, grandma is the only one who could repaste yours, your Facebook post, and get more likes than you did, right? <laughs> if any of you were my mother's friend, you probably had a post reposting you going, I don't know what Mrs. Caffrey's doing, but okay, it's weird. But, you know, she didn't quite get it all the time, the technology. But she would post these Jesus th- oddball stuff. I just, I just gloried in the fact that this average, ordinary woman, who would have considered herself a nobody, who never knew her father, really never knew her mother except that she wished and longed to see her and had a bunch of secrets could die with such, with such honor, be celebrated for who she is. For she was rescued by Christ, the one who became a nobody for everybody, so that we can all be somebody. Never knowing her from her, her earthly father, Focus said, How are you doing? So I'll tell you. I'm, bere- I'm grieved, there's no doubt. But two R words that I think are appropriate. I have, I have no regrets with my mom. I had no regrets relationally. Last year for her birthday I gave her this lengthy journal of what I thought about her so she could see it in my own handwriting. For a woman that I've known all of my life had suffered from what do people think and who am I and this whole nobody Nazarene kind of thing and And I wanted her to make sure she knew. And I thought, well, God, you knew what you were doing. But the second thing is that she was redeemed. She had been rescued. And so I did not weep for her. I only grieved and wept for myself for what I miss here on earth. But that because Christ came as a nobody so that everybody could be a somebody... I rejoice in the fact that my mother was there and she had chosen the kingdom life by receiving what Christ had to offer her. A part of what she thought about herself, a part of what anybody else would have thought. She now basks in the glory of what Jesus thinks. And what we're going to learn in Matthew is that that's what Christ wants us to live in the here and now. That we never have to question what Jesus thinks of us. Rather, we must understand that a nobody came to everybody so that we could all be somebody. And although we're imperfect and never will be perfect until glory, he desires to use us for kingdom purposes. He desires for us to choose to live the righteous life. And that through that righteousness, it's hard work. Righteousness is hard work. But when we allow ourselves to live the righteous life, putting away that which is unrighteous, then he works through us even more and allows his light to shine through nobodies so that all nobodies can be somebody. And that's what we're going to see in the gospel. Is that he desires for us to know what he thinks of us. And that he is going to use us in ways that we could never think or imagine. And that he wants us to get the unrighteousness, the little things that are the darknesses that we kind of hide and keep close to ourselves and we have that dialogue. Oh, I know, I know. One day, Lord, one day, Lord, you know, I know, I know, I know. He wants it to be exposed so that we can experience the abundant life, the freedom that is really at our excess as kingdom people. My prayer is if you don't know Christ, or if I may say, if you've kind of toyed with the idea, it's kind of Jesus is sort of a novel to you. That the man of righteousness, the very son of God, God the son, You would allow to penetrate your hearts and that righteousness could be redeemed in your life through what he did for you. And then for each of us that we would just continue to open ourselves up. Yes, we need to choose righteousness, we need to choose to pray, but we also need to choose this kingdom thought process. Forgetting what we think of ourselves or what even our past or where we're from define us, but what the King of kings and Lord of lords, the King of this kingdom that Matthew is going to outline, that we live our days of what the King thinks in this kingdom life. Father, we are so grateful. We thank you for for the truths that Matthew is unfolding for us. We thank you for what Jesus means and that he comes to every Galilee, every center of the heart, and desires to, to transform us, renew us. God, may we choose the kingdom life. May we be absorbed by the kingdom thought, by his thought of us. And may we be the light as he sees fit to use our influence. Anoint each of our ministries. And I pray through the King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus. Amen.